0: The Conservative Conscience. And yes, it is Daniel Hurwitz back here for a new week at Conservative Review at the Conservative Conscience on Westwood One Podcast Network. Well, it's Monday. And you know what else? It's another couple days until July 4th. Can't wait. I will actually be out most of next week on a much-needed vacation with the family where I could actually spend time with them. Um You know, defending my own family sovereignty rather than just national sovereignty. Uh, But, you know, on July 4th, we celebrate a lot of important principles and just 240 or so words in that preamble of the Declaration. But one of them is the word consent. We're entitled to governance by the consent of the governed. So no one could just come here, knock on my door, have a claim to be admitted. And then I just let them in. And they have a claim to remain here. And they have a claim to my radio microphone. And they have a claim to share in my show. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and, and I, by, by the way, this whole border thing is so ironic in the sense that you now have, you know, all these government officials being kicked out of restaurants. And the irony is so rich because, you know, they're asserting their sovereignty to kick anyone out they don't want, and they don't realize that national sovereignty is is um, rooted in the same principle. And, and the double irony is when it comes to individual sovereignty. I mean, think about it. These are the same folks who, um, you know, to a large degree, believe that you must bake the damn cake for a homosexual wedding, and you know this is even worse. See. In those cases, all those individuals, you know, from Darnell Stutzman and uh, uh, you know, obviously the Colorado baker, um, the Klein family in in Oregon, uh, Arlene's uh, Flowers, all these cases, there's really been one um, reoccurring theme, and that's the fact that they have said very clearly they are willing to serve them in any other. A capacity, They don't have any issue with them. They just don't want to serve the event, the event, the idea that violates their religious conscience, which happens to also be the values this country is founded upon. Now, you freeze frame with that thought for a moment and see what's going on here where these restaurants are kicking out people because they simply – they refuse to serve them. Because of who they are and because of what they believe, meaning it's not that they're saying, look, I don't want to host, a, I don't know, a local ICE or Border Patrol get-together or something. Um it's just individuals who are just having just eating breakfast, you know, that that's completely divorced from the immigration issue, but because of their views on immigration and their association with the administration, they are refusing to serve them and downright actually expelling them from the restaurant. Now, to be very clear, you know where I've been on this issue. I'm very consistent with property rights. I believe you have the right to be hateful and rude like that and refuse to serve someone, you know, who doesn't Bother you doesn't cause a rocket just simply because of who they are i I believe you do have that right. I believe our founders would view anything else uh very foreign. um you know again, you have section seven of the, of title seven of of the Civil Rights Act, which carves out blacks um you know again that 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 really is unconstitutional. You could defend it at the time given that we were violating their real rights in many other ways, and you know it was needed. But certainly to add that to anywhere else, like I said before, you cannot do that. So I'm fine with it. I mean I'm the one who's consistent on this. It's just the irony is so rich here that the very people that want us to – that believe there's a due process right. They're now saying there's a due process right to be let in. Suddenly uh, you know, they they believe they can kick anyone out just simply because of who they are. And meanwhile, you have to service downright – you know, a special event, and, and and what what that tells you is, like I said before, what it really is is elevating the homosexual agenda to a national religion, because that is more than anything else. You know, nothing could could um supplant, or not even supplant, but nothing could could defend against that agenda. Uh, but anyway, I ju- I just figured a lot of people are talking about in the news this whole business of um. You know the culture of hate on the left and this radicalism. Abolish ICE. Abolish the abolish the border patrol. Um, attacking uh, government officials. Yeah, I mean this is a big problem. But I just wanted to point out kind of that legal sovereignty aspect that's just so irony and so so ironic and so rich. Um, another thing, and and I do want to get today to some of the Supreme Court cases. You know, I was sitting there with bated breath at ten a.m. on SCOTUS Block. Will our masters, def- you know, allow us to have sovereignty? The travel ban case, the the labor union case, the uh, pregnancy center case. Uh, there's a couple others, and it turned out they didn't really um, decide any of the big ones. Obviously, they did decide in the right direction on Abbott, the case with Texas's redistricting. Um, but you know they're going to come out back for another bite at that apple. Obviously, you had the Supreme Court did remand two of the cases. Darnell Stutzman um, – Barnell Stutzman – I'm sorry I said Darnell. Barnell Stutzman did get – is going to get her day in court. It was remanded back to the Washington Supreme Court. Um, I have no doubt. That they're gonna do what that Arizona appeals court did with masterpiece and and actually say no masterpiece is proof to us that you know where there's no animus and it's applied facially neutral, you must serve anyone and you know it will likely get back to the Supreme Court next term, but you know it doesn't refute anything I said that masterpiece was a harbinger for bad news to come, and you know look, I mean obviously Kennedy could retire that might change change things but over time, we do need to deal with this legislative, legislatively. I want to get to the internet sales tax case and the um, this radical expansion of the Fourth Amendment and the subpoenaing phone companies to get um, cell phone locations, where you know there's certainly a a real um, real credible uh, tip that that a uh, Criminal is a certain in a certain place that somehow they need a warrant for it. That somehow the Fourth Amendment considers that an unreasonable search and seizure is divorced from two hundred years of case law. We'll get to that in a minute, but I do want to continue with some of the immigration themes we're talking about. Um, President Trump has been really on message. You know, I'll, I'll always complain when he's not on message, but I must say he is. I'm going to take yes for an answer given that he is saying everything I'm saying. And I'm just kind of putting some of the footnotes on it and the, you know, the statutory framework, the case law, the principles behind it, but the president has been solid, solid on this. You know, he tweeted out um this mo- well first he tweeted out on Sunday, we cannot show all these people to We cannot allow all these people to invade our country when somebody comes in and we must immediately, with no judges or court cases, bring them back from where they came. Our system is a mockery to good immigration policy and law and order. Most children come without parents. Our immigration policy left all over the world is very unfair to all those people who have gone through the system legally and are waiting online for years. Immigration must be based on merit. We need people who will come help make America great again. And then this morning – he actually um, tweeted out. Where is this? Try, just trying to find here. Do, 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 do. Early this morning, lost track. He actually was pretty busy this morning. Looks like there's a lot of things on his uh, timeline here. Um, hiring many thousands of judges and going through a long and complicated legal process is not the way to go will always be dysfunctional people must simply be stopped at the border and told they cannot come into the US illegally country brought back to their country if this is done illegal immigration will be stopped in its tracks and at very at, at very little by comparison cost and then he makes another case for the wall you know a lot of people, even some of the conservative thumbsuckers, are just, you know, they can't control themselves, oh, I'm so scared, he's saying stupid things again. Actually, this is very smart. You know, actually, this is what we said all last week. You know, so many of you who are listening to this show and you're thinking, gosh, doesn't anyone hear this? Now, I doubt the president, you know, reads me directly, but you know, hopefully, you know, some of the people in the White House um have been giving him this advice, people like Stephen Miller, I hope, and some others, and and maybe Paul Teller. I know they do get my email blasts, and and look, you know, maybe they thought of it on their own, but the president doesn't have to let anyone in. Okay, you never have a claim to come in. We might have a complicated process if we want to allow you to embark on that process for asylum, but it doesn't have to be processed at our border, and we could turn you away. Obama did this in 2014. See, a lot of people forget that the border surge in 2014 implicated Obama's daca amnesty agenda and he badly wanted to shut that down in order to grease the skids for more amnesty and he did that but you know i i'm not going to go through it all because i know you guys could read and i don't want to just reiterate what i've already said but i'll link to in show notes it's time for trump to use his trump card in immigration and he's actually you know hinting to this and i just give the statutory framework 8 USC 1182F that's section 212F of the INA as well as you know as kind of a supporting role there's a second statute um section 215A1 of the INA um which basically gives the president the authority to regulate any departure or entry um you know uh, under reasonable rules regulations and orders and subject to such limitations and exceptions, any president may, may prescribe. He could prescribe any limitations on entry, um, and then certainly the language of 212F, which is just you know as clear as a bell. You can't get um, broader authority than that. That whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the U.S. would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, and for such period, as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. And that's the thing. He could place restrictions. He could say, you could come, but only if you go through the Mexico City Embassy, consulates. There's about a dozen or so um, in, in Mexico, or you can't come at all. And then, of course, this is inherent Article Two authority, Um This is ironically from a California judge in 1996, um, Encuentro del Santo Popular v. Christopher, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the court case. The exclusion of aliens is a fundamental act of sovereignty. The right to do so stems not alone from legislative power but is inherent in the executive power to control the foreign affairs of the nation – when Congress prescribes a procedure concerning the admissibility of aliens, it is not dealing alone with a legislative power. It is implementing an inherent executive power. So the president is, has a double layer of protection. He has inherent um, Article Two powers to keep out anyone. You could take that to the bank, anyone, no exceptions, as well as delegated legislative authority. And as I note at the end of this piece, the famous citation from Youngstown, it's Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company v. Sawyer um, – Quote, when the president acts pursuant to an express or implied authorization of Congress, his authority is at its maximum, Maximum, for it includes all that he possesses in his own right plus all that Congress can delegate. So anyone who tells you other, otherwise is full of manure. And, and, and just the broader thing people need to understand is even beyond what I'm saying <sighs> – Nothing in law about asylum or international law about the Geneva Convention takes common-sense survival of a, of a country and flips it on its head. You don't read those things strictly and read American sovereignty leniently. You do the opposite. Everything has to yield for American sovereignty. That is rooted in what we celebrate in July 4th, consent. You have to come here. You cannot break into a society. It all has to be by consent. And at the end of the day, the laws were meant for individuals in very unique cases. You know, I was just um, with our buddy Andrew Wilkow, who's now obviously a CRTV host. I was on his radio show a couple of minutes ago, and I made this point that, you know, asylum, it's not just the fact that 90, 95% of them are bogus, really 100% are bogus, but, you know, there's some liberal immigration judges out there that grant a couple of these uh, applications that grant them approval. Um, it's You have individuals from, let's say, China where the government is persecuting them for their political beliefs. That's what asylum is. But if you have an entire country that just empties out, that's an invasion. Now, they might have good reasons or bad reasons. They might have sympathetic reasons or not, but that's not what it was meant for. I mean – Right now, Venezuela. You know, we had Joseph Humeyer, the expert in Latin American affairs, on our show last month, talking about this. There's two million migrants as a as a, just a start, and it's probably going to become the whole country. Uh, the entire Venezuela is collapsing. Their economy collapsed. You know, I understand you'd want to get out of there, but does America have to let in two million Venezuelans? That's not asylum. Um, you know, it, it's just you, you don't have to do this. And I just want to, and, and and let me make a note of this while I am, before I forget. I often forget. I know I said I'm going to link to things. And I don't. I, I want you guys to see this. Andy McCarthy, um, he is, you know, one of the two three columnists that I actually read. I don't usually read anyone else because most people in this business don't have much good to say. Um, but but McCarthy's brilliant. The problem is he's been really just bogged down on the Mueller stuff so much that we've missed some of his. Um, Just uh, intelligence and and insight on so many other issues. So he's thankfully back to some other issues, and he has a column out today, really giving the philosophical underpinnings for the technical, you know, kind of case law statute piece I wrote today. That asylum, this asylum crisis, is a security challenge. It's not a legal problem. (laughs) You know, oh well, you know, let's uh, speed up the process. Let's get more immigration. (laughs) We have an invasion in this country, an invasion. The ill effects of illegal immigration alone should be enough to designate it as such. With the gangs and the drugs and the tens of thousands of people killed from heroin, fentanyl. I mean, it's the biggest national—the car fentanyl, all the stuff coming in. The biggest national security problem you could ever have. I mean, imagine if you had a bunch of you know people coming in through immigration. Both they themselves bring in um, nerve agent or mustard gas, or they enable and serve as human shields for cartels to bring in WMD. Would we say, hmm, let's see how to adjudicate uh, the process, what type of detention, separating the families or not? No. <laughs> this is this is a national security military problem. And again, you know, more fundamentally than just shutting off immigration, which we definitely have to do from the border. Is ultimately, we need a military incursion into Mexico. Anyone with a degree of, if they understand what's going on there, when you have Sinaloa and Zetas and other cartels literally controlling territory on our side of the border, they have lookout towers, military strategy. Remember, a lot of these people are ex Mexican um, special ops. You know, these, th- this is a military style invasion of our country. You know, let's not forget that. So we have the the, you know, tons of crime and and the problems that come to our country from the people we admit, but then there's just the people that are enabling it. That's for sure. You know, a military threat and what I would call an invasion of our country. You know, so so you know, he he's he has some really good quotes here and I'm just trying trying to skim through it here. Um you know, he says the rule of law is not, not Is not a magic wand. It is possible only in a community that has agreed to live under its provisions. Even within such a community, it must be enforced by the power of the state. Law enforcement is manageable as long as its resources are commensurate with a reasonably expected degree of lawbreaking. The situation is different when we are dealing with outsiders who seek entry into the community by nature. That is more of a security challenge than a legal one. If the outsiders are not legally entitled to enter or if their claim to such entitlement is dubious, the situation can masquerade as a legal problem only as long as it can be addressed by the resources the society has dedicated to enforcement. But what generally happens when a security challenge is handled it is as if it were a mere law enforcement issue is that the bureaucracy gets overwhelmed, and we find that enacting laws is no solution. And that's what we've been through. Um you know he has a really good point, and he says we are a litigious society. As so, our first impulse in any crisis is to hurl our laws at it. It rarely works. For one thing, our laws our, our law is always a step behind new crises, which is part of what makes them crises. And he goes through you know his experience with the World Trade Center bombing and you know prosecuting terrorism, like he did when he worked in the New York's attorney New York attorney's office. Um, You know, the broader point here is, like I said, that the president is armed with inherent Article II powers to deal with this. You know, I joke around the president has been given authority over the last half century to basically just make war and engage in aimless confrontations all over the world without congressional authorization violating the constitution but ironically the one area where he could do so unilaterally and it's indeed his responsibility is to repel an invasion that he doesn't need congress for and that we don't do you know that, that that's the problem here He says, in a matter of refugees flooding the border, our law is again behind the curve. As a society based on individual liberty, we subscribe to the precept that guilt is personal. We don't convict a person for being a member of a suspect group. That is fine in the realm of domestic law enforcement. It does not transfer well to security against our outsiders. And sure enough, if you look at federal asylum law, it addresses the individual migrant, not a systemic incursion. Beautifully stated by by Andy McCarthy. It addresses the individual migrant, not – A systemic incursion. It dwells on what a migrant must establish to qualify for relief and on what conduct the government may rely to deny or withdraw asylum status in a specific case. It does not address what could happen if thousands of migrants simultaneously seek asylum abetted by the lawyers' left's insistence. That our asylum law entitles them due process, even if this means that as a practical matter, a high percentage of them will be released into the United States. They will never show up for their legal proceedings, and they will settle here illegally while Washington agitates to bring them out of the shadows and formally make them Democrats or, I mean, uh, citizens. Anyway, beautifully said. I'll link to that in show notes. And you know, I just want to say before we move on to some other issues here, the American people get this. This is brought out, I believe, in a poll from CBS UGov over the weekend, and they actually did a good job of getting to the essence of the issue, not like okay do, do do we want to open up concentration camps for illegals um do you want to deport someone who comes up with a cure to cancer no they asked they asked the two questions that really are flip sides of the coin. First off, they ask, which comes closer to your view? Whether the US finally decides to admit them or not, meaning put aside immigration. Just those who who enter illegally, should they be punished as an example of American toughness or treated well as an example of American kindness? And you know, a majority fifty-four to forty-six says kindness. Now, even then forty-six say we should be tough. But notice but that the question is not what to do with them. You know, no one, um, There's still a majority of people. We don't want to beat them up. We don't. We don't have a desire to do anything to people. But the next question is now: Which of these do you think should be done with the families trying to enter the U.S. illegally? Release the entire family back to their home country together. Forty-eight percent, by far, the biggest chunk. Four um, percent say arrest the parents and keep the children separate. Eleven um, percent say arrest the parents but keep the children with them in the same detention facility. Um, and and then if you but if you add those on you know that's really all this is even tougher you know that that gets you a super majority sixteen um, percent not sure only twenty one percent want open borders twenty one percent say release the entire family in the U S temporarily and require they report back for hearings later and even then you know it, I think there's a lot of naivety that they don't realize the harm and danger that they cause and that they abscond and they never come back but even then it's only twenty one percent. So, it's basically if you add it up, what is this, 63? I guess, you know, it's basically 63 to 21. It's three to one. Because again, it all gets back to sovereignty. The American people don't want to harm or punish anyone. We just want to mind our own business and stay safe and secure. And that's what I warned you guys last week that the Democrats were walking into a big trap, making their case using all of this to focus attention on the immigration issue the one thing that the mistake they made is that they actually focused the american people on something that broadly they agree with us with okay you don't want to separate families that's fine we don't either we don't want to release the kids we want to unite them together and send them all back and then the you know and then from henceforth deny entry to everyone and solve this overwhelmingly the people agree to us and that's why it was it was perfect you know i want to say this um if you haven't watched it, go to C-SPAN. You could watch Trump's uh, rally he held with the Angel Moms. I know we have a couple Angel Moms who listen to this show who lost children from illegal aliens, and the theme of this rally was permanent separation, kind of what we were talking about, separated in the grave. And it was beautiful messaging, and I said to myself, you know, the media was, wasn't covering this. They weren't seeing the other side of this. Imagine if we had an entire party, Ryan, McCarthy, all the state Republican parties, all of them going around with victims and and, and giving the other side to this, that it wasn't Trump doing this alone. We had an entire party apparatus doing this the same way the entire Democrat Party fights for illegals. Imagine what the country would look like. If you haven't heard this analogy from me yet – it will be new if not you know maybe it's boring but i'm going to say it again it's like a boxer even if you're the best boxer around i mean look if your opponent's a nobody then i guess it won't do any harm but you know if the guy is somewhat of a, of a boxer um if you decide i will not punch i will not strike and maneuver i will just stand still and try to just defend even if you're the best defender he's going to land at some point the guy's going to land punches on you And and that's the point. You can't, if you don't take the opportunity to strike and maneuver, it's not just that you're going on offense and you might hurt the other side. That's also a way to balance and parlay against their punches. It's the best defense is a good offense. And if we're constantly on the issue of immigration showing the 99% of it being bad. And how much more crime as opposed to, you know, the, the sympathetic stuff for illegals. So that when, when they have stuff in the news cycle to draw upon their sympathy for their side, it's not going to land. It's going to ring hollow. But if we don't do this, if we don't talk about the victims of illegals, the thousands of murders by at the hands of illegals over the years, um, you know, again, 1300 people have been booked in Texas prison just for homicide. Over seven years, just in Texas, you can imagine what what Arizona and um, California look like. We don't have the data, and those are just the 40 to 50% that DHS downright has fingerprints on. So it's probably double that, and then certainly the rapes, the robberies. I mean it was thousands upon thousands. We don't hear about this. Because we don't have a party doing this. But what the polling data suggests is even without that, the people agree with us. Imagine what their views would be if we had a party doing this. So don't shove polling at me. You know, it makes makes no sense. Just makes no sense. But anyway, the president was really, really on message, and I'm proud of him. You know, our other disagreements notwithstanding, you know, I gotta take yes for an answer. And the Democrats are really walking into a trap. If Republicans don't blow this, they're actually going to help to find. It could be the Democrats might finally shut down illegal immigration by using like you know biblical levels of outrage to focus people's attention. Like, oh yeah, we have um you know a lot of problems at the border. We need to shut this down. See, they were hoping this would lead to oh we need to release anyone. No no no, no. the people don't want that. So this is good news. This is very good news. I just wanted to highlight another story um, that, you know, it's going to seamlessly tie into the next issue. I want to give you just an update on jailbreak, um, this jailbreak legislation that passed the House. And I want to tie in immigration to general crime and then go into the court case on general crime. Um, this Carpenter case. Actually, before we get to that, I just want to tie up a couple of loose ends. I, I just forgot. Uh, you know, every time I get off the air, I think, man, I, I missed this point. I missed this point. Um, a couple of things. The one of the Mexico. So, so Mexico is going to have presidential elections really soon. And this Amlo guy, um, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, is a really bad dude. Um, now they're all bashing America. They think that's their meal ticket to winning, but this guy is—he's is, like a Chavez Castro type of guy, and he's ahead in the polls. And he said, "And soon, soon, very soon after the victory of our movement, we will defend all the migrants in American, in the, in the American continent. Look what he calls—and all the migrants in the world, immigrants must leave their towns and find a life in the United States. Could you imagine this? A guy running for president in Mexico." And his top issue is get out of here and go to America. I mean, I don't care where your politics are. You know, if you want a lot of immigration, a little immigration, just recognize how bankrupt they are there. And this is just another data point in in, in the in, in saying that this is an invasion. It's being encouraged by their government. We need. Full military and diplomatic resources, the same way we deal with things halfway around the world, we should deal with our own border sovereignty and security. It's, it's just – it's a complete no-brainer. And connected to that, I, w- I want to make another point, and I'm going to probably write an article on this um, just to, to tie in <clears throat> to, to this point again that that America is never out of options when it comes to protecting our sovereignty we 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 don't need you know like andy mccarthy says it's not a legal issue we we don't need some new law some new court case we need a brain it's security and there there's something a lot of people are missing so you know obviously the federal government has the right the, respons- the responsibility to repel the invasion, to stop people from coming in, to certainly go after the drug cartels, I would argue make a buffer zone. I mean, I would like for any liberal listening to this show, and I know Media Matters for America uh, has begun to do so. You tell me, why should it be that there's, you know, let's say 5, 10, often up to 50, 100 miles into our soil that's insecure, unstable, that is unsafe? Shouldn't that buffer zone be on the other side of the border so that there's not one inch of American territory that is not sovereign? But anyway, Article 4, Section 4 guarantees states the right to protect from invasion, right, protection from invasion. States do not have the right to demand DHS and DOJ block grant funds to be a sanctuary city. No, 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 no they don't have the right to sue for more immigration they do have the right to not be invaded and it is the government the federal government's responsibility to protect them people forget and this is going to tie into the the flip side of this is going to be the internet sales tax case, case which we'll get to later article 1 section 10 i believe paragraph 3 yeah paragraph, par- paragraph 3 of the constitution Says as follows No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in a time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power, or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Folks, <laughs> we have an invasion. When you look at Texas, just Texas alone, let's just let's just look at this from their vantage point. With the hundreds of thousands of crimes committed, the parts of their soil that are, you know, um completely unsafe, where where you have ranchers being attacked by foreign nationals. If the federal government's not going to do it, I believe they have the power to do it. And now again, I'm not saying the power to um, you know. I I'm not suggesting that you know the Texas Air National Guard should start dropping bombs on on the drug cartels. I mean I think that although I do think we should do that at a federal level um but I am saying that they they have the right to defensive actions and I think that they have the right to remove people, to push people over the border. You know, When we say the federal government has full control over immigration, that's in the other direction. That's in the sense that states can't go more lenient. But states, particularly the border states that are being invaded, have the right to protect their own sovereignty. And Scalia said this in the Arizona v. U.S. case. You know, not exactly in this context, but you know that's something I'm going to be developing as as time goes on. Maybe even tomorrow. Um, you know, and and that's the thing. There's no due process when it comes to war. This is an act of war with invaders. You know, one of the, one of the um, indictments against King George in the, in the Declaration of Independence that we're going to celebrate next week, guess what? It actually talks about the fact that King George prevented governors from repelling invasion. You know, if the federal government's going to be impotent and the federal courts are going to downright be tyrannical about this, they're no different than King George. That's the impetus for one one of the causes of the American Revolution. You know, to protect our frontier, they have that right. This is our frontier, and they have that right to to protect from 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 war. You know, you could you could call me any names you want in the book, but you know, these are the basic constitutional values that we ignore, and then we create extra constitutional values. So anyway, that is with this. The the final immigration story I want to bring to your attention is um – where is this? It's an NBC Washington story. As you know, <clears throat> there has been, I mean, a really dire uptick in gang violence in northern Virginia. Not surprisingly, this is one of the areas that was seated with unaccompanied alien children, often not really children, or if they are children, they're as violent, violent as can be, and we have problems here. So this is um, from Channel 4, Washington – the NBC affiliate, 11 MS-13 gang members have been charged in connection with the kidnapping and deaths of two na- two teenage boys whose bodies were found in Fairfax County Park last year, prosecutors say. The bodies of Edwin Escobar Menendez of Falls Church and uh, Sergio Arita Triminillo of Alexandria were found in Holmes Run Park on March third, 2017. And they list all the people charged. And the interesting thing is... El Salvador is listed as the country of origin of all 11 suspects. Ten of the men are here, are considered illegal, and one has a green card. I wonder how he got the green card, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't say for sure, but how do you think they got here? This is the other side to the story we're not hearing. And again, it's primarily, you know, you look at, the people who are killed their names are hispanic sounding they're either legal or illegal immigrants like i said before i mean this is the this is the, where their morality or their immorality comes full circle because it's those people that you say oh we need to be nice and compassionate they're escaping violence you know these are the people we're hurting most and one i i want to end our immigration discussion and go on to crime by noting here, according to court documents, Trimneo was on probation and wearing a court ordered electronic monitoring device when he disappeared it stopped connecting the day he disappeared well let me ask you something folks let me ask you something if he's monitored then why didn't uh, why why don't the police get to him before he murdered someone this is an important lesson – I just wanted to give you this anecdote because it's lost on a lot of people you know, that are focusing only through an immigration lens. I want to discuss the general crime lens. As you know, we're the only ones in this entire country almost to op- oppose this so-called first-step jailbreak jailbreak act that passed almost unanimously out of the House where the members did not read the bill and they don't understand the consequences. It takes tens of thousands of hardened federal prisoners that are totally undefined – as to low risk, it's not defined in statute. Many of them are actually criminal aliens, and it releases them into home confinement. Home confinement, any prosecutor will tell you in law enforcement, it's a joke. It's an utter joke. Unless you put the resources behind it. They don't have enough. It's not like there's someone manning the station, and as soon as the bracelet gets cut, he leaves. An alarm goes off, and then they're, they're You know, they immediately, within three minutes, are at the point where the GPS was cut off, and they're on the search. It just doesn't work that way. You know, tragically, this Baltimore County cop last month was killed by one of these folks. This is a big part of this stupid criminal justice reform thing. That a lot of people won't tell you, and I want to read to you connected to this another story that's very very connected. You're not going to read it elsewhere. This I can't link to because it's a, C- a CQ article, Congressional Quarterly. It's a um, subscription, but uh, you know they pay the big bu- big bucks here at CR to um, equip me with it. It's like the one perk I get. I uh, I couldn't justify. Paying the money internally to get um, Nexus, or actually we had it, but we didn't renew it. But I said, look, you know, if you get rid of CQ, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. You know, <laughs> I need it. Um, it's, you know, completely indispensable resource. So anyway, prison guards fearful of unfunded promises in overhaul bill. A bill the House passed last month in an effort to reduce recidivism and prison costs faces tough sledding in the Senate, where many are insisting. It also include restrictions and mandatory minimum sentences. It's also opposed by one group with a direct stake in the outcome, prison guards, even though it includes language that would allow them to store their own handguns at prisons so they'd have them commuting to and from work. So now, folks, this bill had a lot of random provisions. So, you know, some of them were good. Um, It allows prison guards to store their guns right at work so they could always, you know, go straight with them and, you know. Their, their targets and everything. Now, again, that's not the main part. The main part is jailbreak. So, I mean, I'm not going to support a bill because it has this thing. But, you know, the Council of Prison Locals for the American Federation of Government Employees, the, the prison guards, their their union, they were actually supporting this bill. And now they're withdrawing support. Because They believe that the bill makes too many promises without guaranteed funding, putting guards at risk. And this is the point. They have all these leniency programs, but they don't put the money behind it. Here's the dirty little secret about jailbreak. Here's the dirty, dirty little secret. That, on the one hand, they want to release everyone because they want a talking point. Oh, we have too much incarceration. We need people out of prison. But then they have another talking point that... They want to save money, and the problem is the two conflict with each other when you want to do home confinement. One or two things are going to happen. Either home confinement is a joke or you're going to have to pump a ton of money into it in order for it to be secure. I told you I, I have I have it from officials in the Bureau of Prisons that it costs $33 per diem per enrollee or whatever per uh, um, convict in a federal institution. Right, because like any institution, once you get through the fixed costs, it's the marginal increase in cost for every per diem um, is, is not a lot. You have all the, the economies of scale, you got the institution there. But if you want to replicate a solid security apparatus in one's home and in many people's individual homes, that's a fortune. That they say is about, I believe, $88 per diem, almost 30, almost three times more. So this bill doesn't appropriate any funding because, of course, they have to say they're saving money. That's the whole talking point and how they get a lot of conservatives to go along with it. But now you even have – I mean this is the thing. We all hear from these stupid right-on-crime Texas public policy institution, Brooke Rollins in the White House, pushing this. But what no one wants to hear from is the law enforcement groups opposing it. And now you have even the prison guards who are supporting it because of one just random provision that has nothing to do with the rest of the bill – now they're worried that look you know you're you're having all these like jailbreak programs, but you don't have the money behind it it's going to put us in danger, but I just want to say that this point is accentuated by what we see now that there are people that just they 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 go on to commit horrible crimes, including murder when they have ankle bracelets they don't work, and particularly when thirty seven percent of all the people in the marshals custody are foreign nationals and roughly 25% in BOP custody are foreign nationals, a big chunk of people released will be these guys that are just the consummate flight, flight risk. Right? I mean, they're, they're going to, they're never going to come back. So that's jailbreak. I just wanted to give you guys an, an update on that. And then now I wanted to get to another Thing we didn't have time for, and that is Friday's decision. I didn't have time to write about this yet in Carpenter v. United States. This was a landmark case and yet another massive expansion of the Fourth Amendment. Now, let me say this. There's two points I want to make with this case. Number one, the Fourth Amendment, like the First Amendment, is very important if you interpret it properly. But when you start expanding it, you have problems. Now you know, just like if I say First Amendment, you know, um, there's a First Amendment right to immigrate. You're not expanding rights; you're actually infringing upon rights. You're infringing upon upon the private property rights of all Americans. Right when it comes to rights, and I wrote this in my book. I, I don't have the exact language here. Um, some of you guys that are really regular listeners and you know read my book cover to cover probably have it offhand. But you know, rights have to be perfect. You have to get it just right. You can't just say, you know, what? well, let me err on on having more rights. You know, I'm I'm a big privacy advocate. I'm a big Fourth Amendment guy. Well, what what do you mean you're a big Fourth Amendment guy? I mean, you got to get it right. You can't add on to what's not there. Right? I mean that's that that that's obvious. You can't just add on where it doesn't exist. And you know the point is that there's a special peak. There's there's a the perfect equilibrium you could reach, but when you start going beyond that, you're not going higher. You're going off you're 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 Going off the plateau or the peak of Liberty Mountain down the backside of Tyranny Slope. That is tyranny slope. See, we have government for a reason. You know I'm a limited government guy. I don't like this Department of Education Police, Bureau of Land Management Police, HUD Police. You know, we shouldn't have any of this. We shouldn't have any of these those departments, frankly. There is a reason we have government. I mean we do have Article 1, Article 2, Article 3. We do have government. And the main reason is to protect the security of Americans. Primarily from outsiders on a federal level and internally is primarily dealt with at a state level. And, you know… We can't cheat in order to arrest even bad people. You've got to follow the 4th Amendment. But if you're going to expand it to anything beyond what our founders meant, just know, you're not like, "Oh, look, you know, I'm I'm such a privacy guy. I want even more privacy." I want even more. I'm going to be even better. No, no, no. you're 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 worse. Because now you're endangering people. Which leads to my other point. This is a vivid example of what I'm talking about when I say we have an under-incarceration problem in the United States of America. See, I always said to people that even if I agree to you and let go everyone from prison that you think doesn't belong there, forget about drug traffickers and the fact that they're killing tens of thousands of people and they're responsible for so many other violent crimes. Forget about those. Just the people that straight up commit murder, rape, and armed robbery. Just those. Maybe – Certain egregious battery and assault, if you want to add that in. Violent crime. No, that was a nonviolent. No, 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 Daniel. These are only nonviolent people who want to let go. Okay, okay. So my point is your philosophy that we have an over-incarceration problem is fundamentally wrong because if I would only focus on those that we all agree are violent and need to be locked up, we need to be locking up a lot more people. But they get out, and we never land convictions because it's so hard because every day they're expanding these loopholes. This is a guy, Carpenter is a guy, who was the mastermind behind a lot of armed robberies. And they had him. They nailed him through these cell phone records. And now they're saying it violates the Fourth Amendment. So this was funny. It was the exact opposite of the Internet sales tax case. It was John Roberts screwing us here along with the four liberals in a 5 to 4 and Kennedy actually wrote the dissent and then you know Thomas Alito Gorsuch all wrote their concurrences and it is it is really bad so just to begin with and I don't have too much time to really delve into the details cuz I want to get to the main thing today and I know it's very very late already with the internet sales tax case but, um, you have to understand when it comes to third parties, when you surrender your information to a cell phone company, that is not your house anymore. you want you know to be very clear, there are times when you might want Congress to or states to regulate law enforcement's ability and i I'll be the first to tell you that there are cases where it's appropriate. Where it's tyrannical and an invasion of privacy even though it is not egregious enough to be a violation of the Fourth Amendment. But don't constitutionalize things that aren't in the Constitution and make it carte blanche because it is so dangerous, the consequences of doing that, where you can't you know do it properly. You can't have a proper compromise and balance public safety. Fourth Amendment protects, quote, the right of people to be secure in the persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. You know, this is the property of a person, okay? And that's the scope of the Fourth Amendment for our entire history. The Fourth Amendment, like everything else we talk about, a lot of the First Amendment too, and national sovereignty, is property rights. It's rooted in property rights. It wasn't until Katz v. the United States, I believe in 60 was it 67, 1967, where the court basically expanded the, the role the scope of the 4th Amendment to pro- to protect what, what they call reasonable expectations of privacy. Right? That, that was the whole Griswold era this crap of, you know, all reasonable expectation there's no reasonable expectation of privacy that that that's that's a constitutionally mandated floor, but anyway, basically they use that and just expand upon that in this case and it's just pure garbage, pure pure garbage. the case does involve new technology that didn't obviously exist when the founders were there, but the principle is time is is timeless I mean these are reasonable accepted lawful searches when you have serious risk and serious cases it's it, it just it's such garbage but i'm telling you the courts are doing this every day there was a couple other supreme court cases that were l- less consequential but They create death by a 1,000 cuts. Defense attorneys now have 10,000 avenues. I'm not talking about, oh, Daniel, those stupid drug charges. I'm talking about murderers and armed robbers. Straight up, if you just focus on those, there's 10,000 ways they could fight it. When you know they did it and you have all the evidence. This dismissal of evidence thing, it's such nonsense. The exclusionary rule, the Miranda rights, I mean – since the Warren era, the courts have been expanding this the same way they're expanding the 14th Amendment. But somehow the libertarians and these young, thumb-sucking pseudo-conservatives think that, oh, see, I'm being cool, more rights, I'm, I'm a privacy guy. And that sounds great, and, it, and it's appropriate and when it properly applied. But when it's balanced against public safety, look, if it's in the Fourth Amendment, I'm, I'm for the Constitution no matter what. But when it's not, don't add it in. Don't add it in. it's it, it just it is such garbage. pure garbage. So anyway th- this was back in 2011 and notice notice it's been how long this armed robbery this is like a mastermind of like tons of break-ins to stores. Think of those victims, the property rights, the money lost. I don't know if anyone was ultimately hurt in these cases. I'm not familiar with them. But um, this goes back to 2011 in a Radio Shack. They arrested four men, and then you you know you get them to confess, and then you get information from them, and they used that to identify 15 accomplices, and they gave the FBI some of their cell phone numbers. So the FBI reviewed the call records, you know, to see what's going on. They could do that. You know, um, the prosecutors applied for court orders under the store communications act to obtain the cell phone records of this guy Timothy Carpenter he was the mastermind there were several other people with him and uh, this was a 1994 law it permits the government to compel the disclosure of certain telecommunication records when it quote offers specific and articulable facts showing that there are reasonable grounds to believe that um you know it's 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 relevant and material to the whatever the ongoing criminal investigation So again, this is not a. This is not your property. It's a third party. But even the third party, it's a subpoena. They don't just you know kick in the door of AT and T and whatever. They they ask for it and they say, look, we have reasonable you know um, records and 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 they gave it to them. Federal magistrate judges issued two orders directing Carp- carpenters wireless carriers. It was Metro PCS and Sprint. To disclose the um, sector information, you know, where the calls were originating from, um, and, uh, you know, at the time of the call termination, the incoming, outgoing, and, you know, to, to track the guy down. And they, they obtained a lot of records, and ultimately the guy was charged with six counts of robbery, um, firearms charges, maybe some other stuff, and basically um, – the, the 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 carpenters' attorneys said that we have to suppress the cell site data from the evi- evidence presented at the trial. It's a, it's a government's illegal seizure and search and seizure violated the Fourth Amendment. You know, it, it just it's such garbage. It's pure garbage. But I'm telling you, folks. This is why, this is why we have problems. This is why it's so hard to land convictions. Even in black and white cases dealing with what everyone would agree are violent criminals, we can't lock them up. So this is the joke in focusing like a laser beam on the handful of people you think are over-sentenced when fundamentally we have so many people being under-sentenced and even more being never-sentenced. And a lot of it is the sentence isn't, isn't long enough, the judges are weak. But a lot of it is like this, where we're opening up every day more and more loopholes by expanding the Fourth Amendment to something that doesn't exist. It's just, it's just, it's just pure insanity. And with that, we have our final case here. I mean there's really a lot more, but I want to get to Wayford. Obviously, this was a South Dakota case. The internet sales tax case. And I know I alluded to it last week. So that was decided earlier in the week last week. Now, this is unbelievable if you think about it. So first of all, this was the opposite of Carpenter. Roberts was actually the good guy. Roberts, this is the, the one of the weirdest splits we've ever seen. Um, you know, Roberts wrote the dissent. And he was good. And it was basically what was it? It was all but Ginsburg among the liberals. So amazingly, Roberts got it right in my view. And together with Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, and then all the, you know, good guys, you know, but Kennedy writing the opinion um that, that states could collect sales tax across state lines. Um This deserves a show in and of itself. But just real briefly, I mean, we are screwed. Think about it. States can't regulate abortion. Even, you know, we learn from – it. and again, what I'm focusing on and I focused on in my article is mainly the hypocrisy of Anthony Kennedy. As far as, you know, Gorsuch, Alito, and and Thomas, they are consistent in a certain principle – and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Although I disagree with it, just in this case, but at least they're consistent. But but look, but Kennedy really was a poorly written opinion. He basically made all the political arguments instead of the legal arguments, and saying, "Oh, you know, oh, uh, you know, now now is te- technology changed." The reality is, reality is this: we're told by Kennedy, a state can't regulate even Gosnell type of laws against. Terrible conditions in abortion clinics. We're told that states can't define marriage the way it has been defined since the creation within its borders. We are told that a state cannot enforce federal immigration laws written within its own borders. States have been reduced to rubble. But yet we're told now that states are so powerful they could collect sales tax across state lines. And you know what's funny? In all these bad decisions, we're told stare decisis is precedent – here, suddenly, they took two cases spanning from, uh, what, what was it, 1960 – I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting when it was. The so late 60s was the first time with mail catalogs that it came up collecting states out, ta- sales tax outside of state boundaries. Um, Bellas Hess and then the Quill decision in the early 90s, they overturned them, and it was built upon a principle, a doctrine – ...in place since Gibbons v. Ogden in 1824. And that is what's called the Dormant Commerce Clause Doctrine. And the idea was that the entire purpose of the federal government... Why do we have a constitution? Why did we move on from the Articles of Confederation? Generally speaking, those of us in this audience believe states should have a lot more power than they do today, and the Constitution was designed for that, and we don't follow it properly. But there are certain things that were given over the federal government, and the whole point was they didn't want tariffs and taxes across state lines and the chaos and problems that that ensued from there. That's why we have a, a federal government. It was interstate commerce was given over to the feds. Not as a means of giving the feds more power to regulate people, as the liberals interpret the commerce clause, but as a negative on the states. Right, This was um, basically encapsulated in a letter I found from Madison to Joseph C. Cabell in 1829. Quote, the power to regulate commerce among the several states was intended as a negative and prevent." Preventive provision against injustice among the states themselves rather than as a power to be used for the positive purposes of the general government. It is a negative grant. Now, Clarence Thomas believes that he doesn't believe in this. You know, so even from 1824, he he believes that ultimately there's no such thing in the text of the Constitution that yet yeah, it was given over to the federal government. But there's no negative. In other words, the negative is that a state cannot do it unless explicitly authorized by Congress, rather than saying a state can do it unless Congress takes it away from them. And Thomas believes in the latter. And I think, you know, he would say, Daniel, well, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, he would say that, look, you know, you're right in the spirit of the Constitution, but in the text, you can't really read that in there. Now I understand that, but I'm just saying, and it could be if we never had this before. If you're going to create such a doctrine, fine. I maybe not don't create it. But of all things, really, of all things, to overturn two precedents from 50 years built upon a principle since 1824. That's now. I'm not trying to say everything from the 18, early 1800s is sacred. That you know they they're. Were plenty of things that I believe went wrong and warrant the Constitution. And if you're a real originalist, you have the obligation to follow the text of the Constitution as you believe it, it was written. Um, but the, in this case, Ogden was right, certainly in the spirit of the Constitution. I mean, that that was the entire rationale for creating the Constitution. I mean, it was obvious. The entire rationale. You know, it, I mean it just it just boggles the mind, boggles the mind. But of all things, suddenly – see, the problem we have, the problem we have – and this is a lesson I wanted to learn out from this, and I'm just losing my voice already because we've gone so, so late in overtime – This is yet another example of how the courts are a one-way street and a dead end for conservative policy outcomes. What I've long said, the court system – see, I'm fine with the consistency of making states strong again, but then also applying it to election law, to immigration enforcement, to abortion, to marriage, transgender issues. But somehow we're always on the losing side of those issues because it's only – Alito, Gorsuch, and Thomas, who will be good on that, but we're not going to get the benefit of the other guys. You know, We're told it's a due process violation to require photo ID at the polls or ask for proof of citizenship to verify eligible voters. I don't see the Supreme Court in a rush to overturn those lower courts. And in fact, they've denied appeals to overturn those interpretations of due process. But they have no problem overturning Quill – Quill's ruling from 91 that requiring out-of-state vendors to account for 10,600 tax jurisdictions for places in which they do not have representation is a violation of due process. Look, ultimately conservative justices, to their credit, they're consistent and intellectually honest, and I I love Clarence Thomas. But mixed with the inconsistency and intellectual dishonesty of the liberal justices, we seem to always lose politically in almost every case. See what I'm saying? We can, we can never get the benefits. All right. So states are so powerful they can tax cross state lines. Okay, great. So now, hey 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 guys, are you going to be with me in my plan to have Texas, um, you know, deport some of these people as a function of Article One, Section Eight, Section Ten? I mean, Paragraph Three. When you know they're under invasion, they have the right to protect their own sovereignty. No, I'm sure you'll find one. Well, oh, it's a supremacy clause. Suddenly. States could tax cross state lines. There's, there's a lot more to say on this, but I mean, you know, you look at the Supreme Court said in um, Dumont, it was 1949 decision, quote, no other federal power was so universally assumed to be necessary, and no other state power was so readily relinquished. To me, it's pretty implicit that they don't have that authority. I can't, I mean, the 10th Amendment gives them. All power is not enumerated, you know, in the federal, you know, to the feds. Well, this one is. I would argue they don't have it, even without Congress acting on it. Congress, of course, could act, then they won't because they all support it. Trump supports it. I spoke about this a little bit last week, but um, certainly the hypocrisy of Anthony Kennedy is astounding. Think about it. Anthony Kennedy said. In Arizona, the U.S., that Arizona couldn't merely complement and enforce, not come into conflict with it, but enforce federal law within its own boundaries. Didn't affect any other state. Its own sovereignty under attack, the drugs pouring into Arizona, billions of dollars of costs to the state. Yet they can't merely – yet the the – plenary power of Congress over immigration is so strong in his view that it boxes out the states from even echoing it, much less coming into conflict, much less going across state lines. Yet somehow when it comes to internet sales tax, which I would argue is even – is the is the Commerce Clause is even more rooted in the federal government, right? In other words – you know I'm always a big you know plenary power guy, saying that the feds have control over immigration, but it's it's not both directions. It's it's in sovereignty. But if they want to go more lenient and start flooding states with stuff, I would argue states, could to, in some capacity, as Scalia said in his dissent in Arizona, they could you know even even where it doesn't complement the law, um, you know they have their own sovereignty. But it's amazing. You look at what Anthony Kennedy said. He said. That intent can be inferred from a framework of regulation so pervasive that Congress left no room for the states to supplement it. No room. You're boxed out. So even if if Congress didn't explicitly ban you from enforcing immigration law, the fact that they're so involved in that field, you're preempted. I would argue that language is appropriate for the Commerce Clause. It is so pervasive. It is so deep-rooted that there's no room for states to get involved in cross states. Now, again, Thomas and Gorsuch, Alito, they'd say, well, neither applies. Neither, you know, both cases, um, it's not a negative on a states if if you didn't have a positive, you know, legislative act of Congress to kick them out. But I, I, I do think they're wrong in this case. I do think, you know, I, I think it was the wrong decision, and it just. This was extremely bold, overturning 200 years of principle and 50 years of, of of court cases. I mean, really, of all things, this is where you're going to go bold. I mean, I love you guys, Gorsuch, Alito, and Thomas, but I mean, I love to see that boldness on some other cases. I I, I haven't seen such boldness. I mean, are you going to overturn Brown, Brown v. Board of Education? And God forbid, I don't mean the political outcome of it. I mean the jurisprudence behind it that the 14th Amendment became some positive grant of legal positivism over and beyond the negative rights being protected in it. It's not that the outcome of Brown is bad. It's it's the underpinnings of the 14th Amendment that they established that was added on. But I'm just telling you. They're not going to – even Clarence Thomas, who's as bold as could be, he's not going to have the guts to do that. But here we're going to repeal a principle from 1824 that's deeply rooted not just in the Constitution but really in the Declaration of Independence. This is sovereignty. Again, it's, it's funny. We started with sovereignty, and we're going to end this show with sovereignty. The individual, the states, and the feds all have the right sovereignty and the right – you know, place. I have individual sovereignty with my life and liberty and property to do what I want without you forcing your will on me. But I don't have the the right to force my will on your property. A state has the right to control its internal affairs and repel invasion from uniquely suited to uniquely um, threatening that state, but they can't impose their will on other states. And likewise, the federal government has a responsibility to protect the sovereignty of all of the union but not violate the sovereignty of a state and of the individual. we got to get sovereignty right in the spirit of July 4th. Anyway, we've gone over time. I'm I'm about done. Thank you all for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.